Bismillah wa salatu wa salamu ala rasulillah wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in There are two words for the heart. Can you remind me what they are? Qalb and fu'ad. Qalb is the normal word for the heart. Fu'ad is used when? Some sort of excited situation, emotional circumstance. You know beautifully in the Qur'an, Allah keeps track of these things at moment's notice. So you find in one ayah of Surah Al-Qasas, both of the words used for the heart at the same time. Allah says, وَأَصْبَحَ فُؤَادُ أُمِّ مُوسَى فَارِغًا إِنْ كَادَتْ لَتُبْدِي بِهِ لَوْلَا أَرَّبَتْنَا عَلَىٰ قَلْبِهَا لِتَكُونَ مِنَ الْمُؤْمِنِينَ Musa's mother's heart was fleeing, fluttering away, emptied, because she had just left her baby in the water, and now the baby has gone so far, she can't even see him anymore, so she became almost emotionally paralyzed. And at that moment, the fear and the grief and the sadness and the stress, the overwhelming emotions, the rage of emotions were so many that her heart is not described as just qalb, but as what? Fuad. Because it's overwhelmed. It's burning. But then Allah says, she almost gave up her secret. In kadat latubdi bihi, meaning she almost ran out of her house running after the basket saying, that's my baby. She couldn't help herself. But Allah had to hold her back. And this is important to understand because for a mother to hold back is actually probably psychologically impossible. It's probably psychologically impossible. I don't see an explanation of how that can happen. In other words, when a child, when you take your child to the store and your child is holding on to your jilbab and you're walking and all of a sudden for two seconds you don't feel the hand anymore. What do you do immediately? Kareem? 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 Like, you know, like, <laughs> how long before a mother goes crazy? I literally give it 10 seconds. A father doesn't see the kid anymore? Eh, somewhere. <laughs> you know, like, he's around. You know? But a mother, you give her 10 seconds, and she goes nuts. She goes crazy. Mothers don't care. There's an animal instinct that takes over that wants to protect the child and nothing else matters. There are, I've seen cases where there are people speeding on a road, lightly, maybe it's uh, 15 miles an hour and they're going 18 miles an hour. And there are kids playing in the porch, but they're not on the street. The mother comes out with a bat. Slow your car down, my children are playing here. Oh my God, lady. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Because there's a protective instinct of a mother. This mother just put her baby in water. What is her first instinct? You think she's sure about what she's doing? Like, ah, that's a good idea. Bye. No. She wants to drag it back. And now that it's gone, what do I do? She can't sit still. She almost came out of the house and gave up the secret. So something has to hold her back. So Allah says, لَوْلَا أَرَّبَطْنَا عَلَىٰ قَلْبِهَا Had we not tied, knotted up, on top of her heart, meaning Allah gave her emotional stillness and calmness and stability so she could not lose it and go after her baby. Because it was important that she stay calm right now, even though that is psychologically impossible. Allah had to intervene. So the calmness of her heart did not come from her, it came from Allah. It had to come from Allah, she wasn't capable of it. On her own, it was her fu'ad. Allah came through and calmed her heart down and when the heart calms down and it's not overwhelmed by emotion anymore, what does it become? 
Qalb. So he says, Lawla arrabatna ala qalbiha. When it calmed down, it became qalb again. In it, there's an incredible lesson also for us in regards to our emotional state. Some people say, I have anger issues, there's nothing you can do about it. Other people say, I have, you know, I, I get really upset, I get really depressed, what can I do? I can't help it, this is just who I am. It not, it's not just who you are. And some people also say, this is also interesting, some people are scarred. You have a fight with a cousin or a friend or a brother or a sister, and you're like, I don't even say their name, okay? When you say their name, I get upset. I can't even think about that person. It just makes me angry. You know, talk about something else. You don't want to look at them, talk to them, think about them ever. There are some of you that have that issue with your mother-in-law or your father-in-law or somebody. You know, there are issues like that happen. They sometimes even happen between siblings, between friends, used to be friends, now they hate each other's guts. They can't stand each other. And they say, my heart is scarred and it can't heal. I can't get over it. I cannot forget what happened. I cannot move on. I know that he's sorry for what he did. I know that he's changed. I know that everything's okay now, but I cannot let go of what happened. The idea in the ayah is that the mother of Musa salam just put her baby in water. And now the baby has disappeared. Which means, in, as far as she can see, this is never going coming, this baby isn't coming back. It's gone. This sort of thing, can this be emotionally traumatizing for a person, for a woman, to have to go through that? You could say that after going through something like that, she will never recover. She will never recover. But Allah intervened and had her, had her recover immediately. Immediately Allah gave her rabt on her qalb. Now tell me, is the mother of Musa a prophet? No. Are the people of the cave prophets? وَرَبَطْنَا عَلَىٰ قُلُوبِهِمْ مِذْقَامُوا فَقَالُوا رَبُّنَا رَبُّ السَّمَاوَاتِ وَالْأَرُضِ Allah doesn't just tie the heart and calm the heart down and give the strength to the heart and heal the heart for prophets. Allah intervenes between you and your heart. Allah comes into your heart and intervenes and fixes. Allah says it Himself. He intervenes in your heart. In other words, Allah has the capacity to move you forward, to let you let go of the past, to heal the previous damage that was done, and you can live your life. There are some people who, many of you still sitting in the audience, you're living in the past. Something that happened to you, and you can't let go of it, you think about it all the time, and it scars you even more, and you don't let go, and you remember it, and you get even more depressed. Husband and wife had a fight six months ago. Everything is okay now. But this, then one day the wife says, remember when we had a fight? And he goes, yeah, I know that was silly. No, it wasn't silly, it was serious. <laughs> I still remember what you said. And it starts all over again. He's like, wait, this was six months ago. Why are you replaying the video? And it's like they just fought. Because she can't let go of what happened. Even though things worked out, everything was okay. But she's not able to let go. Sometimes the guy is not able to let go. This is Rabtul Qalb. Allah can give strength to your heart if you seek it from Him. You know, we think of, when, we think, when we talk about the discussions about our heart in Islam, we usually think about Iman and Taqwa and Khawf of Allah and Khashiyah and Khushu'ah. Our relationship with Allah, that's what we think about when we think about the heart. But actually in the Qur'an, the discussion about the heart isn't just about our relationship with Allah, it is also about our relationship with people. 
Because you know, Allah says on Judgment Day, إِلَّا مَنْ بِقَلْبٍ سَلِيمٍ The only people who will be safe on the Day of Judgment are people who come to Allah with a healthy heart. But my heart doesn't just have a love and a belief and a faith and a fear of Allah. My heart also has love for my mother and my wife and my children and everybody else in my life. And if there are fights and arguments and hatred and jealousy and whatever else, that's also, where does that stuff live? In my heart. So if I have feelings towards other people, my heart is not healthy. If I'm going to come before Allah, I need a healthy heart. Not just a heart that's healthy towards Him, healthy altogether, which means my dealings with people need to be good. They need to be sound. We need to mend our relationships. That's captured inside. Subhanallah. Okay. I'm going to give you a couple more quick examples. Ooh, this is a really fun example. Let me write this for you so you can tell the difference. Misran and Misra. Misra. Misran. When you say Misran with a Tanween, it actually means countryside, farmland, etc., etc. When you say Misra, it means Egypt. One little difference. The difference is an versus a. The technical discussion here is mamnu' min as-sarf versus mu'rab. Who cares? All it is, means at the end is misran is for countryside, misra is for Egypt. Now, Fir'aun says, alayhi li, listen to the Arabic, tell me if it's countryside or Egypt. Okay, that's your job. Alayhi li mulku misra. Egypt. Don't I alone own the entire kingdom of Egypt? Who asked that question? Fir'aun. These rivers flow under my feet. This is my land. Egypt is mine. That's what he said. Okay. This ayah, was that Egypt or countryside? Countryside. Okay. So now we have to figure out why Musa alayhi salam used this word. Musa alayhi salam helped the Israelites cross the water. They escaped the clutches of Fir'aun. They're out in the middle of the desert and they were going to die because there's a desert, there's no food, there's no water. So what did Allah do? First of all, Allah provided them an umbrella. Allah gave them al-ghamam, the clouds that would follow them everywhere, the Israelites. So they got a divine umbrella from Allah. So they're not scorched under the sun. But that's not enough. Now they need water. Well, how did they get water? Anybody know? How did the Israelites get water in the desert? I'll wait. Let this get awkward, it's fine. How many springs? Twelve springs. He hit his staff, twelve springs came out, remember? Right, so that's water. Okay, well water's not enough to survive. I mean, we've got cover, we've got water. What else do you need? Food. How did they get food? What food was it? Manna and salwa. Right? Manna and salwa, you can say it's a kind of seed or grain that they could use to make bread. And a kind of bird, like a quail kind of bird 
that actually some say wouldn't fly away when they would try to catch it. So it was easy to catch, cook, eat. So they got food, they got bread, and they've got meat. They've got carbohydrates and they've got proteins. They're set. And they've got drink, they've got water. So they're living in the desert and they're eating manna and salwa and the guy says to his friend, hey, what do you want to have for dinner? I'm thinking we should have some manna and salwa today. What about breakfast? What do you want to do for breakfast? I got an idea. How about salwa and manna? <laughs> I don't know what to do for lunch today. Breakfast and lunch, then dinner, manna and salwa, then manna and salwa, then manna and salwa. Do you have the same breakfast, same lunch and same dinner every day, you guys? Do you? Really, you do? Same exact thing for breakfast and lunch and dinner? No. As a matter of fact, when you're about to have the same exact meal the second time, you say, Hey, I already had what? What's going on? Is everything okay? When the wife gives you lunch and she says, Can I give you for dinner the same thing I gave you for lunch? You're like, Excuse me? Same thing for dinner that I had for lunch. I'm going out to eat. I don't do the same food twice. The Israelites are doing the same food three times a day for months and months and months and months and months. So eventually one of the guys, he's sitting with his friend and he says, Hey man, remember back in the day in Egypt, before we were out in the desert, we used to have garlic and lentil and onions and tomatoes and cucumbers. Oh. And he's sitting there chewing on his manna and salwa and he's thinking about the entire salad he used to have. And he's like, wow, and yeah, I remember. I was, hmm, mm, hmm. I can taste it. Hey, let's go ask Musa. He can make dua to Allah. We've ate enough of this chicken and bread long enough, this fake chicken and bread. Let's go ask him for some, you know, some side dishes, some salad, some spices. So they go to Musa alayhi salam and they say, Udu'u lana rabbak yukhrij lana mimma tumbitu al-ardu min baqliha wa qithaiha wa fumiha wa adasiha wa basaliha. Can we get some garlic and lentil and onion and etc. And can we get some fries with that, some extra ketchup on the side. I mean, while we're at it. Now the question is, <coughs> where did they learn the names of these vegetables? Did they learn the names of these vegetables in the desert? Clearly not. From Egypt. They knew these vegetables from Egypt. So they're asking for food that they used to have in Egypt. On a side note, I recently found out that in Egyptology, they study the, the food of the elite. The food of the elite ancient Egyptians. And in their food, these vegetables that are mentioned in the Quran were actually used in this order of priority and quantity for elite family foods. So they remember watching rich people eat that food and say, man, I wish I could have that. That's, that's where this comes from. Anyway, <clears throat> so they ask for these vegetables. And Musa salam says to them, before I tell you what he says to them, I need you to understand something further. So they are missing the food they used to eat, eat in Egypt, yes? But wasn't Egypt a life of slavery? Wasn't Egypt jail? Egypt was jail. When two guys get out of jail and say, man, I miss that prison food. <laughs> that was good food. 
When you say I miss prison food, isn't like isn't it the same as saying I miss prison? If you're saying I miss the food I used to eat or look at as a slave, isn't that the same as saying I miss slavery? They go to Musa alayhi salam and they say, Can we have some of that food we used to have when we were in jail? Musa alayhi salam is so angry with them. Are you asking for Egypt? He wants to ask, he wants to say, Are you asking me for Egypt all over again? But he doesn't. Musa alayhi salam is sarcastic. And he's got an incredible sense of humor here. He says, Ihbitu Misran, why don't you go down to the countryside? But for countryside, you could use Balad, Ard, Qariya. You could use any word. Of all the words Musa salam could have used, he used Misran. What does Misran mean? Countryside, but it sounds awfully close to what? Egypt. It's like he said, why don't you go into another Egypt? I mean countryside. <laughs> And he said that because they're asking for food from Egypt. So it's like they're asking for a repeat of what happened in Egypt. Now let's analyze for a little bit what is so bad about Egypt. What is so bad about Egypt for them being in Egypt? Three things. When you're slaves, you're humiliated. It's the first problem. It's a humiliating life. When you're slaves, you are stuck. You cannot, there's no upward mobility. You cannot say, at least I was living a poor life, my children will live a better life. I didn't go to college, my kids will go to college. I only worked in, in you know, entry level, my children will become managers or own businesses. If you are slaves, you are stuck, and so are your children, and so are their children, and so are their children. You understand that? The first problem was humility, or hu humiliation. The second problem is you're trapped, and so are your generations. The third problem, especially in Egypt, is every other year, what does the king do? He kills babies, meaning they are victims of a king's craziness, a king's anger. They receive the king's rage. Three problems in Egypt. Can I repeat those problems for you? You tell me. What was the first problem? Humiliation. What was the second problem? Huh? They're stuck. Not just them, their future generations too. What's the next problem? The, the rage of Fir'aun. The rage of Fir'aun. Okay. They asked for the food from Egypt. Musa says, why don't you go down to another Egypt? Countryside, Egypt. Same thing. Allah says, and he says to them, فَإِنَّ لَكُمْ مَا سَأَلْتُمْ And in it is what you asked for. And then some. You don't even know what you asked for. It's like Musa Alayhi saying, well you asked for it. You asked for it. So they go in. And what does Allah say? Allah says, وَضُرِبَتْ عَلَيْهِمُ الذِّلَّةُ وَالْمَسْكَنَةُ وَبَاءُ بِغَضَبٍ مِّنَ اللَّهِ Allah says, the second time around, they were slapped with humiliation. This is after Egypt. They were slapped with humiliation. Was that a problem in Egypt? Yes. Then he says, they were slapped with being trapped, stuck, cannot move out, cannot move up. Was that the problem in Egypt? Yes. Then he says, And they drew upon themselves rage. Wait, was that a problem in Egypt? They drew rage upon themselves? But in Egypt, whose rage did they draw upon themselves? Fir'aun's. This time Allah says, They drew upon themselves rage from Allah. Wow. In one word, Musa said, You're asking for another Egypt. 
And then Allah describes, let me tell you why this was even worse than Egypt. This was even worse than Egypt. And that entire sarcastic commentary is captured inside just that one word, Ihbitu Misran, fa inna lakum ma sa'altum. Subhanallah. Surah Al-Saf, Allah Azza wa says, He talks about uh, uh, Musa alayhi salam, then He talks about Isa alayhi salam. Uh, ayat are back to back. They're back to back ayat. Who did Musa alayhi salam come to? Which nation? The Israelites. Who did Isa come to? Same nation. They both were sent to the same nation, Banu Israel. Yes? Okay. Now, when Musa spoke to them, he, Allah says, وَإِذْ قَالَ مُوسَى لِقَوْمِهِ I want you to just appreciate the English. I think I wrote it down over here. Look at the English. When Musa السلام, spoke, he addresses them as his nation. Allah, Allah says, Musa spoke to his nation. إِذْ قَالَ مُوسَى لِقَوْمِهِ To his nation. But Allah did not say that for Isa. وَإِذْ قَالَ عِيسَى بْنُ مَرْيَمِ Not وَإِذْ قَالَ عِيسَى بْنُ مَرْيَمِ لِقَوْمِهِ Isa spoke to his nation. So here's the easy comparison so you can visualize it. Musa said to his nation and Isa, son of Maryam, said. What's missing in the second one? To his nation. And when, they, when he spoke to them, he said, Ya qawmi, my nation, lima tu'udhunani, why are you torturing me? That's how he spoke to them. When Isa spoke to them, he said, Ya Bani Israel, sons of Israel, sons of Israel. He did not call them what? My nation. The thing is, to be from a nation, your father has to be from that nation. To be from a nation, your father has to be from the nation. Musa السلام, spoke to them and he said, My nation, which is his way of saying, I am from you because who is from you also? My father is from you also. Isa السلام, will never call them his nation. Why not? He doesn't have a father. He doesn't have a father. So Allah will never call them his nation, nor will he ever call them my nation. Actually, when he speaks to them, he will say, sons of Israel. Because he's a unique case. In his case and only his case, his identity does not come from his father. His identity comes from his mother. And that's unique, which is why he's the only prophet where you find Ibn something. Because it's a unique case. So Allah doesn't just say Isa, He says Isa ibn Maryam. Because that does, normally doesn't happen. Normally, where do you get your last name from? Your father. Isa gets his last name from his mother, Isa ibn Maryam. He gets his last name from his mom, because there's no dad involved. There's no father there. And so the perfection of the Qur'an in maintaining the, the virgin birth of Isa salam in Yabani Israel. It was interesting, I was having a conversation with a rabbi not too long ago about uh, ethnicity. About ethnicity. Because Orthodox Jews and Jewish scholars nowadays, they believe that to be Jewish, your mother has to be Jewish. Your father could be from anywhere, but if your mother, so long as your mother is Jewish, you're Jewish. In other words, to them, ethnicity does not come from the father. Ethnicity comes from the mother. That's according to them. I said, that's interesting. So are you sure about that? He goes, yep, absolutely, we're sure. 
It's like, okay, well then, what about Musa, Musa's kids? Because Musa السلام, left Egypt, he went to Madian, they know that too, they call it Midian. Madian, according to them, is Arab land. We know also it's Arab land. He got married there to an Arab lady. Then they had kids. And those kids were born from an Arab woman, which means Moses, my rabbi friend, has Arab kids, according to you. <laughs> and he said, that's interesting. <laughs> that's all he said. <laughs> I was like, why you gotta hate, bro? It's just your cousins. <laughs> you know, we have some fun conversations, the rabbi and I. On, on that note, I do want to tell you, I, I'm a big believer in not talking about the Jews. I'm a big believer in talking to the Jews. I would rather talk to them. You know why? Because Allah did. Allah said, Ya Bani Israel, sons of Israel, did He talk about them or to them? To them. So if I'm a believer in this book, then I better believe in a conversation with Jews. And I don't believe that I have to debate with them, and I don't believe that I have to, you know, love them either. I just believe that I have to have a civil conversation with them. There's nothing wrong with it. I can disagree with them all I want. They can disagree with me too. It's a free world. It's fine. We should be able to have a conversation though. There's nothing wrong with that. I'll walk into a church. I'll go talk to a minister. No problem. I'm not there to debate with him. I just want to talk to him. I want to say, hey. I don't agree with what you're saying, but let's go get some pizza. <laughs> That's fine. And they do that too, some of them. This rabbi of mine, he's a good friend actually, we talk all the time. And when we would go to a kosher restaurant sometimes, when we did go to a kosher restaurant last time, there were all these other like very orthodox Jews in the restaurant and they all gave me the dirtiest look and they came to him and they said, Shalom, how are you? And they did the whole Hebrew thing and they pretended I wasn't there the entire time and he apologized for, for them to me, he's like, don't worry, it's, it'll take some time I was like, I, I don't need time, it's okay, I understand but I respect the guy, I learned a lot from him I learned a lot about what not to believe from him you know <laughs> <laughs> you know, and you know why, why personally I believe we should learn from them additionally not just because Allah addresses them the fact that Allah addressed them means that you know the way they think about the Quran is different from how we think about the Quran isn't it now Allah talks to us in the Quran and Allah also talks to them in the Quran but when they, when they hear the Quran they process it differently so I want to understand how they process it like what background do they have what thought process do they have? So when they hear the ayat, what is their reaction? I want to see things from their perspective too. It just, I think it gives me different insight. It makes me appreciate things. And I disagree with him on a lot of stuff. A lot, from the beginning to end. But it's still fun. It was a good conversation. Like for example, our conversations about Ibrahim alayhi salam. Oof. Man, they took Ibrahim alayhi salam and they turned him into a different person. He's not the same Ibrahim that we believe in. It's somebody else they're talking about. It's crazy. This is crazy. But it's fascinating because you know for us Ibrahim salam is the ultimate example of submission. And for them Ibrahim salam is an example, is the ultimate example of how you have the right to argue with God. But it's still all good. So I mean, look. The Qur'an does not command us or encourage us or tell us to hate Jews. 
So that's not, you're not a better Muslim because you hate Jews or whatever. We don't hate anybody. The Prophet didn't hate anybody. The Sunnah of the Prophet is to have concern for all of humanity. That's the Sunnah. If, if anyone has a right to love and hate and punish and judge, it is Allah Himself. Subhanahu wa ta'ala. Not us. All of us are children of Adam. We honored the children of Adam, which means all children of Adam, so long as they are considered children of Adam, inherently are noble people, human beings. I don't care if they're Hindu or Muslim or Jewish or Christian or what a, atheist, whatever. Human beings have dignity, they have respect. Even if they don't have respect for you, you as a Muslim know that Allah gave respect to all human beings. You give respect to people. That's what we have to, how we, how we carry ourselves matters. So many times people in the name of Islam, in the name of the Quran, they think Allah is angry with the Jews, therefore I must be angry with the Jews. Uh, no. No. What Allah has a right to do and what you have a right to do are two different things. So it's not the same thing, you know? SubhanAllah. Anyway, I'm, I digress.